0: We are in Galatians, the first first chapter, beginning in verse 6, but I was watching the children and thinking about how it is as parents, and you're raising children, sometimes you're overwhelmed, you think this is, wow, this is really something, and other times you think this is great, and and I would say this to you parents, I remember a pastor telling me years ago, these are the best days of your life, and I thought, he's got to be kidding. (laughs) He says, you'll never forget these days they're just great you'll you look back and i would testify that's true we have, we live in great days but to raise those little children for jesus uh I'll tell you a story my grandpa was a pastor died many years ago but he always told a children's story about about me and maybe i'll just tell you that story we were traveling with him going off to some place to pastor and i didn't get a chance to do that very much we were very poor and we were going through Wyoming, and I'd never seen snow before. Remember what grandpa, this is grandpa's perspective. You have the children's perspective and the, and the parents' perspective. And grandpa said, when we get to Wyoming, up on the top of the mountains, we're going to wash your face with snow. And we thought, I'd never, I'd never seen snow. I, thought, I live in California. We said, this will be fantastic, washing our face in snow. Well, we got up there, and he pulled over. He, had this, he always got a Buick. And he pulled the Buick over, and I'll never forget, got out of that car, and he grabbed this huge handful of, fa- of snow and just and just scrubbed like this. And I can remember just crying and crying and crying and <laughs> crying, crying and crying. Thought, and I thought, I remember thinking, he's a pretty mean grandpa for being a pastor. <laughs> but here's a story grandpa told for years. He would start laughing, and he would look at me, and I think, I know he's going to tell the story, by this time I was... The last sermon he ever heard in a church I preached in 1981, at that time he went into rest home. But Grandpa would start laughing, I go, he's going to tell that story again. And he says, one time I was taking this boy through Wyoming, and I was going to wash his face with snow, and I washed his face with snow, and he cried and cried. Then he turned to me and he said, Grandpa, if you ever do that again, you, you might just go to hell. So I guess I was, I was already this little prophet guy, kind of calling out my grandpa. And he would laugh and get a big kick out of it. But for me, but, I, but one point of it, as I think of, is, is the perspective of a parent and the perspective of a child is somewhat different. Sometimes God's teaching you as a parent, even when you're teaching your children. They don't know it. But God is speaking to you as a parent. And, and God bless you, parents. Just let God continue to speak to you Because there's so many ways today. Uh, One of my heart visions for this church that is being fulfilled that I thank God for is for many years I looked out and I thought, you know, there are so many children, even right across the street, families that just need a church. Dads and moms, and I believe you are the people to offer that to so many people over the course of time, and I praise God. People that... Can just bring their, just find a church that, in a time it's very unstable, and it's a place of of nourishment and rest and renewal into the spirit. Well, I'm going to read from Galatians chapter one, verses six through ten. The title of the message today is "Untracked and It's Off Track or Sidetracked by Religion," and I think as you follow us through, you will see what we're speaking about. But it's a subtle thing. Last week, we were looking at the introduction that Paul gave as he was writing to this church and how this is going. But today, it's like he goes right into it right away. He just cuts the cord, takes a knife, and lets it go. I am amazed, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you he is to be accursed as we have said it before so say it i say it again now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I seeking, to, seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. For many years, I had the opportunity to work with. Primarily, the, the top one was the Burlington, our major account for many years was the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad. And we provided what you call the herbicidal vegetation services for Western United States. And there it was, I worked with many executives and uh, basically I'd go up to the VP level and there's many layers of the BN, BNSF. But one thing, if you ask a, a railroad official, I always, always like to ask people, Uh, What's the one heartburn, if you heard it, that would change your life? And in the railroad industry, I did not have to ask that question. There was one heartburn that was so clear. And they said, if a train derails, it changes everything. And there's a derailed train uh, 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 on the Union Pacific Railroad there. And that was a count we worked with for many years also. But if a train derails, it changes everything everything i can't sleep they will they will dispatch hundreds and sometimes thousands of people to that site the cost associated with derailment are so staggering that they just go in multiples you can't even understand now if i caused that derailment with the company that we were we owned i would carry a tremendous amount of liability and there's no insurance policy that can cover the losses that go with this Now, as we are looking in Galatians chapter 6, we are going to see a derailment that happens in the Christian church through the church of Galatia, where something caught them and got them off track. You know what's interesting about a derailment? You would think it takes something big. It doesn't take much big, something like that. All it takes is even a little foreign object in the track or a crack in the track, and where the track gets out of alignment, and it'll throw the entire system over. It will derail. And when that happens, that company is in desperate straits. There are contractors that are hired, that have hundreds of people working for them, simply to respond to the derailment, because they know it has to be fixed right away. When you think about the magnitude of this, I think about 30 million pounds is what you see in a loaded freighter going down the railroad track. 450 truckloads are full on the railroad track. The the dollar amount is between 20 and 40 million for all those cars that you have there. And often the, the cargo on top of that is more than the dollar amount of the train, all depending what they're carrying. But as you look at that, It is staggering. But I want to ask you, because this is where Paul was here, when a church stops, what happens? Churches derail. Churches get off of the track. Churches lose focus. Churches get diverted. And when Paul was writing here, and he addresses this, he says, you so quickly began to derail You at Galatia, now Paul loved the Galatian believers like he loved every church. It was a big region, a lot of churches. But the enemy had got the church off track. The church had lost its focus, its power, its message. And here it was that that Paul begins to address this. What happens when we just quit? If I'm a dad and I say, forget it, I'm going to chuck it. I don't want to be, I'm tired of this Christianity thing. What happens? I'm creating a derailment in the family. Not only is it derailment in my life, but these derailments as they come in, in the natural affect so many people. Someone's going to pay the price for that. They'll pay out their job. They might go to prison. In, in the railroad industry, they have a zero tolerance policy. You can't make one mistake and keep working. I've had to look at people and tell them, I'm sorry, your job is finished because you made that mistake. And the railroad will never bring you back on that property. Matter of fact, the the other thing that any top executive would say within the railroad, and it's only happened a half a dozen times in the course of train history, and when you had two trains on the same track going full speed and they collide. And I have heard it's the most awful noise you could possibly ever, ever hear. The grinding of steel that doesn't stop with all of those, with those freighters. You may not know this, but when a train, a loaded freighter is traveling at 59 miles per hour, and if I'm a runner and I'm running next to it with my headphones on, if it nicks me with one half of an inch of my body, I die because the power and velocity of that train is so powerful that it it hits so much. Now we're looking about being off track, ways that the, this church here uh, got off track. And no, notice what Paul said. He says, "I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you." And how did he call you? He called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And you say, "Hold it. That well that's pretty simple." But notice no it's subtle. Because the next verse defines this, which is really not another gospel, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What he's saying is people are trying to get you off track and you're biting the bait. It doesn't take a lot. Uh, in in the, that world that we'd live, we used to live in, you can get, uh, you, you can get off track you can even get sidetracked. I don't know how many of you have dealt with sidetracked. Right here. Right before I stood up, here came a text from a guy at Farms Our Farm. He doesn't send me things on Sunday. You know what I'm doing over there? Pastor Josh is up here designating the kids. I'm going, do I look at that or not? I thought, I've got to preach the people. Hold it. If that thing's big, he doesn't send me things on Sunday. He's a Christian. If, if this is big, it can be really big. And so I'm sitting there struggling in my own mind with that. There's a place through which we get sidetracked. Here's an example of being sidetracked right here. How many times, how many wrecks happened in America because someone was watching their phone rather than the, rather than the road? How many times, how many homes have got sidetracked because dads or moms were here rather than those little guys right here? Sidetracked is kind of a subtle thing. It happens easily and oftentimes, we don't know it. Sometimes, like those collisions that have been very selective, you're on the wrong track at the time of a collision. Or maybe like myself, there was a time I lived through a very close railroad encounter. I was put on the right track at the wrong time. I followed the directions. But a train was coming at 45 miles an hour, and they did not check their... their they're dispatchers. And in Fort Worth, Texas, you've got a war room that's two, two football fields that has 200 different stations that are monitoring trains for our lives. And I've been down there many times in that room. But what happened was someone put me on the track with a live train coming. And I was loaded with con- 800 gallons of concentrated chemical. And that was 20 years ago. And all I, all I can remember is a very close friend of mine who was also a partner, yelled, train, and I believed him. And I went for all my life to escape that train, and it came within 30 feet of me before I went away. I was on the right track at the wrong time. Really later, the trainman apologized because he was on the right track at the wrong time. He had not taken the directions. This church had got untracked. You know there's when when false teaching rises it comes in so many ways and Paul we don't even know all the ways it came here but there's that false teaching minus now the false teaching minus can be yes it's Jesus but we really don't need all this then there's false teaching plus it's Jesus but we got to have all this now the gospel of Jesus Christ says it is jesus jesus and when we are on track in jesus christ it's a whole different different place than when we're off track or derailed that's what we've got now we've got a train that's carrying freight running by a beautiful lake mountains around it It's productive, it's full, it's purposeful, it's exceedingly resourceful, and it's moving in a direction to bless many, many people. You know, it's so staggering, though, the cost of being off track, that if I did a quick calculation, if you would take a train, the track that runs from Los Angeles all the way up through Albuquerque, New Mexico, and ends up in Amarillo, Texas, you've got 1,000 miles of line. That takes 100 trains a day on the line 24 hours. And if someone off tracks there and stops 1,000 miles of trackage for a day, the cost will be somewhere around $500 million. You see, what happens is you don't realize that, but as an owner of a company, it was like this heartbeat wouldn't leave me. It would like we can't miss guys because if we miss and i believe paul was saying it's worth it he saw a church that could have looked like that that it looked like the other one and he says i've got to reach out i've got to appeal i've got to call them back they've got to get back on track and paul just for a moment as a prophet of god really he just let it go and said i'm calling you back to god I don't know how many times you could look in your life and see a time that you would say, I truly confess I got I was off track. I can do that. I remember a time that uh, just got I got lost in suffering and trials, and I thought, and I had a lot of poor me parties. I don't know if you ever had anybody, any of those, but nobody else comes but you. <laughs> and all of a sudden. I started realizing I, but i thought it was all true this happened and this happened and she said and he did and they did and all of a sudden the lord just called and said follow me just follow me just just live for me and i didn't realize that i'd got off track i later i looked back in ministry and i was preaching often then about suffering and the cross but I was not preaching about the empty tomb and the resurrection the same. The power to go on. It was something that would just very quickly, but there it was, off track. It comes in a lot of ways. It comes in a lot of different fashions. And I believe we're going to see as we study the book of Galatians further, we're going to see the religious line of this that comes in. It comes through good things, And but when it comes, it begins to remove us from that, direction that God wants us and this is where Galatia was notice he says it's a different gospel and at first you think in verse 7 it's like a contradiction he says which is really not another it's not a different one but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ I think of a church uh, that was unique it was the Berean church And the Berean church was interesting because the Word of God says they heard the Word and they received the Word with an open heart. But look with me in Acts 17 and 11 at what it says about this church. These were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. What they said, what that's saying is, they didn't just hear pastor joshua or pastor john and says that's it they would receive it but they would take the word of god and say we want to measure it by the word of god now one of the callings as a pastor is you prove everything so you say god you take what i teach and they went home and they said let's look further at this somewhere galatia had got off track and the crash had happened and paul saw the consequences of the crash and it's, it's hard to, to get your head around this, that on a, a train, there can be literally thousands and thousands and thousands of truckloads of commodity. Uh, 450 truckloads on top of one train. And when you get off track, it just creates tremendous difficulty. And this is where Paul was as he's addressing the, the, this church here. I'm going to give you a quick little test, Okay. Because so often we are bombarded today with false teaching. You get out here in the billboards, if you watch a ball game this afternoon, you'll see a commercial. It's all about you. Uh, you'll see it everywhere. And false teaching is just hitting us, and God is challenging us to think through false teaching. Be like the Berean brothers study the Word of God. And I believe, and this is, I believe from the depths of my heart, you're hearing pure teaching here. You're hearing pure teaching from the Word of God here. But the Word of God says you prove everything and hold fast that which is good. You challenge it. No, don't, don't believe it just because I said so. You challenge it by the Word of God because it, is just, it comes in like a bomb. Here's your test. God's grace takes over where my weakness begins, true or false. false it's subtle because we think my weakness god i do everything i can god picks it up over here but the word of god teaches so clearly throughout the bible it's either of god or it isn't of god it's grace or it's not of grace it's all god or it's not but that's a subtle inference to how religion can get us off track i'm gonna help god god is my co-pilot no god is the pilot God is the leader, He's the Lord. I'm going to give God a hand. No, God will use us when we let Him work through us to His glory. Second one, the Bible contains the Word of God. True or false? False. I hear a false, maybe I heard a true. Yes, at first you say, yeah, it does, because in the Word of God is the Bible, yes. But the subtle inference is the Bible can be full of lies with truth. And that's not what the Word of God says. Matter of fact, Timothy, and you may have it on your screen, says it so clearly that every Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for reproof, rebuke, correction, instruction. That, doesn't, that means, okay, I don't like Romans, I won't have it. No, the Word of God is complete, written by God. And when we say the Bible contains the Word of God, we are beginning to flirt with something that says, I can leave this out because that probably isn't the Word of God, but this is the Word of God. Here's one more. You are little gods and He's the big God. False. Yes, I'm hearing it. False. Let's say it again. You are little gods, He's the big gods. Call it out. False. There's only one God. The lie in the garden from the serpent to Eve was, if you'll partake, you'll be that little God. And you can know good and evil. There is one true God. It was the heartbeat of Moses, the prophets, every leader. God is the one true God. No other small gods. God is the Lord. Now, now I'm just blessed by a passage I've been meditating on that one of our brothers gave us the other day. And, and just, just a question. Do you think you could identify a true prophet from a false prophet? If a false prophet came in our midst and by, uh, we wouldn't want them here, but let's just say they're on the pulpit. Okay? And we didn't know it. And they started preaching untrue doctrine. Would you pick it up? Okay, the Word of God, and I believe when you say yes, I believe we're speaking to a group of people that would say yes, I've got it. But I want us to turn in your Bibles with me this time to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 8, 13 through 22. And this is God speaking through Moses, and he says these words. We're back to the question, can we recognize a true prophet from a false prophet? I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them of all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may not say in your heart, how will we know the, the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a spot prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that thing does not come about or come true that is that the thing which the lord has not spoken the the prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you shall not be afraid of him how do you recognize a true prophet from a false prophet a true prophet's words will come to pass a true prophet will speak God's word and it will come to pass. It will be fulfilled. This is, you could call it the, the, the litmus test. But look, let's look at the next verse together of our text, verse 8, where Paul calls out and he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Now I want us to notice Paul saying, but we, we preach what we should, but he said, if I even come in and do it, if I do, he said he should be accursed. And I want to, let's just read one more. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man, before he said we are an angel from heaven, now he says, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Paul says it twice for a reason, I believe. He's saying, I want you to get this clearly. Because when false teaching comes, reject it. Don't accept it. Don't play with it. Don't toy it. You know, Deb and I have a place up in Washington that is a be- has about an acre and a half of beautiful trees and, and lawn and shrubs and stuff and. It's really beautiful. It really is. It's really beautiful. I may have shown some pictures of some of you a week or two ago. But all of a sudden, one day, my wife came to me, and she said, "Uh, there's a figure out there that's got to go. And it was a figure just about my height, and it was in this bath area. And I looked at that figure from a distance, and I said, I don't see the big deal. I really don't. Well, I'll tell you another thing I was thinking is, you're saying this but I'm the guy that's got to move that thing and this thing's heavy (laughs) there's nobody else here really heavy and so one day I was working out there and I walked up to the figure and I looked and I saw it it's an idol and all of a sudden I sensed a presence of evil right in that area and I realized my wife had gently she's a very gentle woman had said this maybe two or three times it's just got to go And I realized I'm by myself, but this thing's got to go. And I got one of these little John Deere gators and I flipped that thing over and it wasn't no easy task. It might've weighed 400 pounds. I don't know, 500 pounds. It was heavy and it was beautiful till you looked in the eyes of the woman and it was awful. And then I realized that little idol was just sitting out in a beautiful little garden and I didn't even see it. he called it i didn't even tell her i didn't ask her to help me i just pushed that thing in lifted and you know it it beat up the back of this bed of this little gator if you know what a john deere gator they these gardeners use them around here but it had to go and i believe when the apostle is dealing with this he is teaching treating this in such a fervent way that he's saying it will get you off track it'll mess up things it will flip out your families it will wipe out your own personal lives it'll destroy your churches and your communities and getting off track and and i think about it and you know i will just share this with you Uh, it was a an interesting journey working with that family and uh, uh, that couple and there was something that just wasn't quite right until i looked in the eyes of that of that idol and, I, and from a distance, you didn't see it. You had to get up there close to see it. And once you saw it, it was like, wow. Now here's, Paul gives a, gives a double warning here. Verse 8, verse 9. I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to say it a little different. I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it again. Because what he's saying is, I know the enemy is trying and getting into the church of Galatia. I know he's striking the pay dirt. You know, sometimes I think of the enemy like this. It's like, if I can't get you... I'll go after your children. I have seen it in ministry where the enemy says, if I can't get you, I'll go after your wife. He doesn't care how he plays this game. He's a game player. And he'll do whatever he can to pervert, to twist, to distort, to overthrow, to create a derailment. I'll use religion plus, religion minus. I'll use religion. All Jesus. I'll leave Jesus out. I'll leave out the cross. I'll leave out the resurrection. I'll leave out an empty tomb. I'll leave out the word of God. Whatever I've got to do, I'm going to do it. I'll appeal through your sensuality. I'll appeal through your lust. I'll appeal through your intellect. He doesn't care. He will work in many ways trying to get through the crack. Now here's Jesus. I just was last week was blessed to do a little teaching in the Daily Devos. And the place that God called me was right here in John. And I just started writing down some of these areas when I think about the warnings of Paul here, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I was, I was blessed. A brother came up to me after services, the same brother that always kind of challenged me. And he says, really, Jesus isn't the water of the life, but he points to the water of life. There's the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. By me, if any enter, they'll go in and out. The pastor, I'm the light of the world, says Jesus. I am the savior of the world, says Jesus. And here, what Jesus is really saying is, I am everything. And if you will look to me, I will give you everything, and I will keep you on track. You see, what happened to the church of Galatia we don't even know all the particulars, but as this book is unpacked more, we will begin to see places that will say, there is a crack. What happened was the enemy came in a crack. You know, we've got this big door. Our front door is really good size at our place. And it doesn't have a knob that twists. You just pull with pressure and you push with pressure. And sometimes you go in and out enough, you just kind of leave it uncracked. And I, have, I am amazed at the things that get through a little tiny crack. The number one is, a, is mice. And the guy that can get through that little crack, it can be that much. He'll be hard to get in the house, too, guaranteed. He doesn't go for the basic traps, usually. He found out how to get through the track, crack. And I believe what the what the apostle was saying here, as he, he strikes his utter spiritual amazement, was I'm amazed that Satan got through. You just started. One of you here walked in one day a while back, and I was so blessed by this. Uh, you walked in, and you looked at me, and you said, Pastor, uh, we've been listening, we've been watching message at home, but God just spoke to us because we need fellowship. And that just struck me. It doesn't... And we're here, and you're, you're still here. You're here this morning, right here. But what you realize is God... Where's the crack? Because I don't want the enemy coming through. I look at these little children up here this morning. What a blessed picture of the next generation of a church that the enemy says, I just want to get in the crack. Whatever, whatever that is, let me do it some way, but some way. Did you know that uh, even Saint, and a lot of times we see him like the lion or, this, or just a ferocious person, but the Word of God says in Corinthians, that satan himself is transformed into an angel of light he comes with a smile he comes with a friendly let's just partner together i remember with moses when he was negotiating with pharaoh and one of the things that pharaoh said is i just want your children Leave your little ones behind, Moses, and go do your spiritual things. And I call this church to say, don't leave the little ones behind. They're the next generation, but every one of them have a soul. Every one of them have have a great spiritual need. I was blessed. I worked with a pastor 15 years under him, and his name was Denny. I was blessed by one thing that he said again and again and again. He says, I don't want to lose one child to the devil in this church, and I don't either. Not one. Which one would you give up? Whose would you give up? But here, what Paul was seeing was hold it. The enemy had got into the church. And I believe this is not a misnomer. The enemy is working havoc in the church of Christ today. He is working in the church. He is trying to destroy the message of the church. He's even trying to take COVID and make the message of the church become ineffectual he'll do it any way he can he doesn't care how he does it and who he works with that's what happens here's something kind of interesting if you'd go to china today and you say i want to go to churches i didn't go into these churches very often the three but you'll go into the government certified blessed church of china it's called the three self church beijing has two two three self churches of a city of 22 million people you know what they tell those pastors you can come in here and preach to your heart's content preach from the bible we only have a couple things that we want you to do you can worship but don't teach the bible as the divine inspired word of god leave it out Another one they say is take the sacrificial work of Christ out. Don't teach the blood covenant as the way through which God redeems mankind. Take it out. Just take that out. It's not that. And don't teach the return of Christ. Just keep the return of Jesus out of it. And don't teach the preeminence and supremacy of God. Just leave it out. And then you as a pastor have a career ahead of you all you have to do is just preach the rest and what has happened is you've just pulled the guts right out of the bible the spiritual guts and that's what the enemy wants to do today he wants to take it out i don't you know he doesn't care how he does it uh but he just wants to take out the power of the gospel and, what, and so what happens is I have, I have, I'm very close to a couple of those three-self pastors that have planted many other churches outside of those areas. And I would not tell you where they're at because go, the government might be listening right now. But I will tell you this, God has raised them up and yet their heart anguishes because they can't teach Jesus Christ and Him crucified in the three-self church. One of them went to, went to the government and says, I, I've got to leave. A church of 3,000 in a coastal town. And the government looked at him because I have many other responsibilities. He had 10 other churches already going. And the government looked looked at him and they said, you can leave, but you'll be leaving with your life. And he walked into the place I was teaching and crawled up on the floor when I was laying down praying. And he lay down beside me and he wept and he wept and he wept and he says, what do I do now? What would you tell him? But I saw the passion when that man walked in the door. I can remember where he sat and the passion of that heart, the fire in his eyes, the passion. And I looked at him and I just said, Do the will of God, brother. Do the will of God. I've never seen him since. Oftentimes, a pastor like that goes back in obscurity and spends most of their life hiding. It's no glory ride. They just love Jesus so much, they've given their life to do that. the last verse here we're going to look at today paul is you know he's given this warning he talks about how the church got off track and what a disaster that was but here we find the apostle paul wrapping into a picture in this verse maybe what the real problem is if you look at this with me for am i now seeking the favor of men or of god or am I striving to please men? For if I am, were still try, trying to please men, wow, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. And Paul stops and he goes, he's referring to himself in a way, but he's referring to them. Am I seeking the pleasure and the appreciation of men or am I seeking the appreciation of God? And I just propose to you, when we even look at, uh, look at getting off of track in religion, one of the most subtle traps for a man of God, a pastor, a church worker, is to fall to the temptation of men. I had a very good friend, a very wealthy man in California, young pastor. And what, but I noticed that when I spoke, he always loved to tell me, he graded my sermons. I preached on the blood of Christ one time. He said, that's A+. So remember that. Another time I preached on the cross of Christ, in Ephesians 8 through 10, but uh, one day he came to me and gave me his credit card. And he says, I love you so much. Just go wherever you want, preach whatever you want. Just take my card. And something about that caught me. Now that was for me. I don't, I'm not here to condemn that. I'm just going to say, this is what happened. I, I, I love this guy. He's dead now, but I, I really love the guy. He helped me out in a special time in my life. And I said, I can't do it. He says, no, just use the card. You can use it at a hotel, gas. I trust you, I love you. And all of a sudden, something happened. Like, it was like the Holy Spirit said, don't let anyone attach strings to your ministry. You know, it was Billy Graham who has died now. Maybe some of us are forgetting this man of God who just loved God so much that he traveled all over the world teaching sometimes for as long as six months, losing 30 to 40 pounds at times because he just wanted to be obedient to God. But one of the things Billy said uh, before he died is he said, I will go anywhere and preach the gospel to anyone on any place, no matter what it is, as long as there's no strings attached to my ministry. You want one string attached to your ministry. I give this to you because I see a lot of you that can rise up to be men and women of God that can go way further than you're at right now in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit connected, guiding, leading. One. One power. One source of life. And this is where Paul was even going. I believe he said, men got in the way of you church at Galatia. They began to put derailment blocks there pretty soon you're turning toward men pleasing. And no longer are you blessing God. You're no longer honoring God. Here's a verse that's interesting in Exodus 23 and 8. Uh, there it was in the, uh, Moses speaking to the children of Israel, that you shall not take a bribe, for a, bri- a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. And what What it's saying is when you take a bribe, you can't see as clearly in making decisions because the bribe is affecting some of your judgment. One of the closest friends I ever had in the railroad business was a guy named Gary. He was my boss at the Burlington Northern Santa Fe for 14 years, and he's a Christian. But the first time we ever went to a restaurant, Gary said, let's make a deal right now. I'll buy mine and you buy yours. I want a pure friendship. No, I'm not against buying meals because I've bought a lot of meals and I've received a lot. But what I think that the point was is Gary's heart was, I want a pure relationship. Don't take the bribe. Don't sell out. Don't allow the string to come. If the string has came, by God's grace, cut it. Don't let it keep pulling because it will keep you from being effective in the ministry of God. It will, give, it will keep you from being powerful and being used to the kingdom of God in powerful ways. Gary became such a dear friend. He's been retired for about seven or eight years and still he lives in, De- in Fort Worth, Texas. And still today we call and talk many times when things are tough and things are hard. But I wanna give you another passage as you think about this area of staying on track that you can take home with you, you can pray about. You can say, God, because I know where you're at. Everyone here has said there's a place I got diverted. There's a place I really got off track. I know some of you have given me testimonies that you got way off track. And so have I. You know what's what's true about a church is we all have the same problem. Moving from God, needing to come back to God, we repent of God. No one has this thing all sewed up. But this verse in 2 Timothy 2.15 and 16.17, I want to read this to you and look at three simple takeaways for you here. 15, 2 Timothy 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. See the counterattack? As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The first takeaway accurately handle God's word. That takes time. That takes an investment of your life. That takes getting up and making a commitment to God. For me, it was 4.20 a.m. as a 21-year-old kid. Get out of bed and start reading the Word of God. If you want me to use you, keep yourself available to me. The only way you'll get to be able to rightly divide this word of truth is, and discern it is if you spend time and prayer and meditation in the word of God. It's not just listening to sermons or reading in the book. It's taking the word of God and saying, God, I want you to show me in your word what you want right now. Not just for my life, but for the lives of other people. Another truth you're going to see in the 16th verse is, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. A few weeks ago, Pastor Joshua spoke here and he used the word, stop it. Stop it. Don't let gossip in your home. If it's there, stop it. Don't speak negatively toward the brother and sister for whom Christ died. Don't get caught in frivolous discussions about other people behind their back. Don't cast a cloud upon the character of a brother or sister through whom Christ died. Because when it happens, you're speaking about the brothers and the sisters. And I believe this is one of the places in which people have looked at Christianity and they've got it off track, untracked. They said, I don't wanna go there. you be the exception to that. Parents, I'll, I'll challenge you as parents by God's grace, Deb and I had a model in our house. I saw nothing but messes in my entire ministry, but I would not bring those messes home and ever mention a word to my kids. Debbie and I might go in the living room, in the bedroom, we might pray, we'll weep, but don't, your children can't handle it. God can. And if you can take it to God, Paul says, Timothy, I'm going to challenge you, watch your tongue, challenge the people in your tongue gossip one of the most accepted sins in the christian church but god hates it always has there's no place for it in the kingdom of god it will not draw a person closer to god it will not lead you closer to god or your family and it will not cause these little children want to be christians they'll just stop, stop and say that's religion count me out and that's all they see. they don't see jesus the last one Notice this, avoid 16, empty and worldly chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness and their talk will spread like a gangrene among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Two guys just spread this stuff. And men who have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has taken place. Here's an error, great error, false teaching and they've upset the faith of some. Reject anything that doesn't measure the word of God. If it doesn't stack up the Word of God, don't accept it. I don't care who says it. I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's Pastor Joshua. I don't care if it's some guy coming in here from somewhere. If it doesn't measure up to God's Word, don't accept it. Because God wants us to stand and prove everything and hold fast to that which is good. There's a verse in John chapter 5, verse 44. When Jesus looked at a group of uh, unbelieving disciples and He said, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that's from the one and only true god how can you believe and the challenge is it's really hard to believe because we got a mixed set of affections and that's why jesus called it out and he says you can't serve two masters one's gonna live and one's gonna die you can't serve god and mammon you can't serve the, the pleasure of God, the pleasure of men. It will not work. I have watched many men, and I say this to men, who have been high-railed in their ministries and Christian faith because they couldn't stand up and walk in truth apart from their peers. And they went back into their little hole, and they could not move. No matter how gifted, you've got to stand for truth. And you've got to walk in truth no matter the price some of you here are saying wow what's this all about you know i kind of hit hard because the word hit hard today here you know in some ways in my flesh i'd love just to jump right over the top of this and 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 just talk about galatians two twenty. that's not very far off down the road but the holy spirit says no i've got to because what galatia is dealing with is also what we deal with we get untracked we get off track we get derailed by Religious things. They come in so many ways into our lives we don't even know it. And finally the Holy Spirit comes back and he says I want you to get back in the track of Jesus. You know you see that derailment maybe put that up there one more time. What it takes to get that train going is just absolutely mind boggling. It would probably take more than all the lifetime earnings of this entire room to get that thing going again. That's the price that the railroad pays to get it going again. What's it take to get, get going again? What does it really take if you're off track? If something's happened, what does it take? What it takes is just simply calling out to God and saying, God. You know what? See the word of God says he puts you back on the rock. He establishes your goings. He puts the song in your heart. It's his strength. They bring, they bring pieces of equipment here and put them together out there to pick up those thousands and thousands of tons of things that cost millions and millions of dollars to bring them back together. You know what Jesus says? I just come and say, everyone that thirsts, come to the water. And if you don't have any money, just come and buy and drink and believe in me and you'll never thirst again. And I'll put you on the track. You know, there's times that I've struggled so hard with that. You could have came to me then and talked to me. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have accepted it. Sometimes I'm just one of those guys God's got to hit home to. You know, I, some, I know some of you are that way. God's just got to hit me. And when he hits me, it really stops me. But all of a sudden, I have been amazed at how easily you can get back up and walk for Jesus when you just cry out to him and confess that you're Lord. It isn't some great big calisthenic exercise. It isn't something that just... I've got to find that right book. Just cry out to God. Some of you here are saying, I'm off track. My parents don't know it. My, my wife doesn't know it. My husband. And that's, we've all been there too. We've hid from our husbands and our wives. Wives get to know it. This is what I say for a husband. A wife gets to know it pretty well. She knows when you're connecting with God. I will just share that. They know it. But, But I wanna just give you that blessed privilege of knowing that Jesus will put you back no matter where you are on that mess. And it's free. All he asks is that you cry out for his strength, and he does it. You know, I don't even know why God brought this uh, story to me of uh, this missionary that in 1956, January 2nd prepared at 29 years old to do the greatest thing he would ever do in his entire life he had always wanted to do this he wanted to go to Ecuador he wanted to minister to an Indian tribe there that had nothing and this missionary just poured his life he sought four people to go with him someone to fly the plane and three other guys he'd get one and one would fall couldn't go and he kept looking finally he had found four and that day of 1956 he went and his pilot nate flew the plane and they circled the area they were going to bless these unbelieving indians and they circled and as they did they kept dropping out food and and they were thankful it seemed like and finally they said it's time to go and share jesus And this man, his name was Jim Elliott. He lived in Portland, Oregon. Shortly before he died, as he was wrestling with God, really, he wrote these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That day his wife wasn't with him, nor his child. They were back in America, back in Portland. And they landed the plane, and they never came back. That was their one opportunity to make a difference. And they never came back. They were martyrs. Shocked the nation. A lot of people questioned why Jim would ever do that with a young family, why he would ever do it. And some of his writings that I've read just said, I just could not get away from the call of God to follow him all the way. What does that mean to you? You know, it's really not just writing down a track. It's allowing God to lead you everywhere he wants you to go. And to follow him completely no matter where he calls you to go. Something happened long, three years later after Jim passed away. His widow had grieved. and She was able to go back and see in Ecuador a flourishing church who had come in the midst of that tragedy because somewhere in all of that the gospel was sown. And the church just kept growing. It wasn't one church but two churches in the midst of total unbelief. And I believe his wife dedicated the rest of her life to serving in Ecuador, not always physically, but however she could. You know, when you get on track and you go with Jesus, where he takes you is is amazing. Where he'll take you, you have no idea. But there you are. That's one of the most beautiful train tracks I know in Montana. The guys that worked for me, they would drive in that track and they'd fight to get that, that run. Look at it. It is so beautiful. you got the water on one side, you got the green grass on the others, you got mountains that are going up two and 3,000 feet above you, but what you've got is God everywhere. And when you are on track with the Lord Jesus, and you're walking in Him, and He is your righteousness, and your sanctification, your redemption, the glory and the beauty that God will pour in and through your life. And I just think about that in light of dedication today, in the lives of these little children and grandchildren. I saw some grandpas and grandmas sitting here rooting their grandchildren on this morning. They were sitting pretty close to me, actually. And I didn't even know to them. They were their grandchildren. But God does amazing things. But I just want to ask you, uh, whatever it takes to get there. I've said it's really easy. It's just calling out to God. I want to appeal today that through the spirit of God, you'll, you'll just simply call out to him and let him speak to you. Whatever that takes, just simply say, God, I need you. And I'm looking to you to put me in that way. And it happens. It sounds so big. And it really is so simple. All he wants is a willing, open heart that confesses him as Lord and Savior and just says, God, I want you and I want to follow you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your your road that you gave us, the straight gate, the narrow way, the way that leads to life and righteousness. I thank you, God that as we've each got diverted and off track and mixed up and messed up, Lord, by Your gracious love, You've brought us back to Yourself. You've brought us back. you put us back on the track. You've given us another chance to walk with You. Oh, Lord, Father God, I pray for anyone here that has not received Your salvation, Lord. And they're trained to go, but they're really not going. They're trained to run, but they can't run. They, can, they cannot be productive, Lord. Their life is a mess. Oh, Lord, we look to you right now to take away that mess. And I pray, God, whoever you're speaking to from their heart, they will cry out to you and simply say, Lord, put me on your track, Put me in your way. I confess you as the only one the only true God and the only one who is worthy and able to lift me out of the pit through which I am grasped. I pray, God, that some way, somewhere, you will speak just now. And have your way, Lord. Do your work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.